Welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, it is an honor to have Sharon Melamed, a digital entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience in sales, service, and outsourcing. Named Suncorp's Innovator of the Year, Top 10 Women Entrepreneurs in Australia, and Entrepreneur of the Year in the ARN Women in ICT Awards, Sharon's startup Matchboard has helped over 3,000 organizations in the public, private, and non-for-profit sectors. Having lived and worked in five continents, Sharon speaks several languages, is an accredited translator in Japanese and German, and holds a double degree honors from the University of Sydney. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business Matchboard? Absolutely, we'd love to. So I founded Matchboard in 2012, having had a 20-year corporate career in five different countries. Matchboard is an online business. You can think of it as the B2B equivalent of a a dating site. (laughs) In other words, (laughs) yeah, we help companies find their perfect match suppliers. So when you go onto the site, instead of putting in filters like uh, brown hair, big muscles, (laughs) you you put in some business filters like uh, what's the service you need, what's the budget, what's the timeline, what industry experience do you require? And then our platform connects you with a short list of suppliers who meet all those criteria. So Mm. that's what it does. I can give you a couple of examples if you like to bring it to life. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so let's say you want to engage a digital marketing agency or a customer experience consultant or an offshore call center for that matter. So you go on, you click what service you need, and then you have a series of multiple choice questions that takes around 60 seconds to complete. And then you put your contact details in, click submit, and presto, you get matched. So we have thousands of buy-side customers ranging from one-man businesses to household brands, and we have hundreds of suppliers, all of whom we we carefully screen. That's a big part of our value proposition that we screen Mm, them all. Definitely. I love the analogy that you made with dating site instead of, you know, putting in brown hair, blue eyes or something like that. You can tweak different things that are related to business. It's, it's really, it's really funny. Yeah. Well, people can really relate to that concept these days, I think, especially <laughs> younger generation. Definitely. So what inspired you to start this platform? Yes. Well, I had multiple inspirations and I guess also a burning impetus to leave the corporate sector for the, the honest reason that I hated my job. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that's the silver lining to hating your job is that it gives you this burning desire to to break free, to get out, to take control of your destiny and do something that you really are passionate about. And I'm really passionate about connecting people. I even match made my brother and his wife (laughs) (laughs) and, and other people. But I really thought, well, I love this connecting thing and and it doesn't seem to be, at least in Australia, anything like a matchmaking platform for businesses. And really when you think about it, how do most businesses today go about finding a supplier? They, They pop in Google or a search engine of their choice and they type in a few keywords. And guess what? Google serves up millions of search results. And mm. Who has time to start going through all those search listings? Do you just go with the ones on page one? 
who uh, probably have a very good SEO consultant, but may be totally wrong for your business, mm. you know, do you spend hours or days combing through? So I thought, right there, there's a problem I can solve while I guess taking advantage of this passion I, I had about bringing people together. And that was the genesis, if you'll excuse the, <laughs> the pun there, <laughs> that was the genesis of, of Matchboard, that light bulb moment that there was no one else doing this. And, and when I did ask around, because I always believe you've got to ask lots of people, you can't assume that your product or service concept is a winner. Get opinions. And, and everyone was like, Great idea. Isn't anyone doing that already? And the answer was no. So I jumped on it. Wow, definitely. You briefly alluded to it before about how trust is one of your value propositions with Matchboard. Because I can imagine, as you mentioned, the problem is people just don't have time to sift through those millions of results when you do a Google search. So as a company which matches B2B, you know, one of the biggest things for you guys would be that you guys match the right people. And obviously, there's an element of trust involved in that. How can you ensure that all the suppliers on your network are trustworthy? Absolutely. Yeah, their trust is totally embedded in our DNA, in the business model itself. And I'll explain what I mean. First of all, yes, we screen every one of the suppliers that come into the Matchboard ecosystem. And we do that in a manual way, which is quite time consuming, but it absolutely is required in order for us to have the confidence to recommend a supplier. So we do that through reference checks with technology vendors. We do software demos with a call center company, for example. We used to do physical site visits pre-COVID. Wow. <laughs> so, and we do lots of online research and check out the, the key executives or owners of the business on LinkedIn, look at their backgrounds. And so it's not easy to, to get into our system, I have to say, to, at the risk of sounding a bit elitist. But it is very unusual because every other platform, whether it's Google or whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's a directory, really anyone can list. There's no barriers. And mm. we actually live in a world of fake profiles and fake reviews. So how do you know the suppliers that you find on these other platforms are not dodgy. You actually yes. don't. So we we help our companies, you know, get to at least first base with that due diligence, having pre-screened everyone. So that's on the supplier side. And the trust we create on the buyer side is equally as important. But just, you know, before we perhaps discuss that, I thought I should explain what I meant by Matchbot's model is based on trust. And what I meant was that our whole commercial model is trusting suppliers to report their wins to us. And how do they do that? When they actually win a match through Matchboard, they are obliged to inform us and to start sending us a copy of the invoices that they then issue to that buyer that we've matched them with. So that's a huge leap of faith, I guess to say we're not going to be in the middle of all those matches between buyers and suppliers. We're going to match, step out of the equation, and then we'll only get our money if the suppliers actually honestly tell us we won that deal. Everyone said when I started this business, you are crazy to have this trust-based model with all your suppliers. People are dishonest, people are forgetful, and many, many seasoned executives discouraged me. But I had to go with my gut feeling 
as an entrepreneur and that's what the market wanted and mm. that's what actually has worked. Eight years later, I can say 3,000 clients, 300 suppliers roughly, and we've had very few negative experiences with this trust model. Mm, definitely. It seems that the trust is not only between the supplier and the buyer, but it's also between supplier, buyer, and also the platform, which is Matchboard. Correct. When everyone was telling you not to do it, you know, these seasoned executives, what was going through your mind and what made you think that this is something that's going to work despite all the advice? Yeah, look, I definitely like to take advice on board. And obviously, there's all sorts of opinions out there. But it was really quite overwhelming that people were saying this is not going to work. So there are a few things that gave me the confidence that this actually would work. And the first one was, like I mentioned, asking lots of uh, potential customers what they thought, mm. not, not only of the service, but of the commercial model. When we asked, so I consulted with many buyers and suppliers who could be potential customers for Matchboard. Buyers said, yeah, we'd love an alternative to Google search that takes us less time and gets us to more trusted suppliers, but we don't want to pay for it. <laughs> you know, we, get, we get search for free. So we want, yeah, we'd love a more enhanced version, but we don't want to pay. Okay, took that on board. <laughs> then I consulted with the suppliers and I said, well, you know, how about if you won new business from this platform, how would you like to pay per lead, per win, a subscription fee? And overwhelmingly, they told me they'd love to pay when they banked a deal. People mm. love that certainty. They'll pay you 100 times more than a per lead fee just for that certainty that they've got the deal in the bank. And so both sides were telling me very clearly and very overwhelmingly what they wanted. So, and the other the other inspiration for this trust model was actually my experience working with the Japanese for 15 years. I majored in Japanese at Sydney Uni and my 15 years with a Japanese firm after graduating was a real eye-opener. The, the Japanese business culture is very much based on building long-term relationships of trust. And I mean, I was always surprised also having lived in the US for many years at the stark difference in the approach where the, the US companies would send their NDAs and their RFPs, and that would be the starting point of, of trying to do business. Whereas the Japanese, they, you know, would never, they would almost treat that as an insult. We haven't got mm. any relationship and you're sending me a legal document. So trust, I think all human beings want to trust other human beings. That's universal. But the mm. way different cultures approach it, is quite different. So with, I, I can't speak for all Asian cultures, but for Japanese and probably Chinese from what I've heard, you know, there's that investment over time in earning someone's trust. Whereas with Western cultures, people want to get straight down to business. And the way they cover off the trust thing is through legal documents. Mm. So very different. I much prefer the Japanese approach and it really strengthened my resolve that my trust model with Matchboard could work. Absolutely. So if I'm hearing you correctly, first and foremost, what made you essentially have, confident in your, have confidence in yourself when all the advice was telling you not to do was first and foremost, you asked what the customers actually wanted. It's not about listening to outside advice you're listening directly to the people who you're selling your service to and if they give you the green light and input into 
what they want, then you know who cares if the whole world tells you that your business model isn't going to work. And secondly, it was your own personal experience with the Japanese. And I think you made a very interesting distinction here between you know Eastern culture and Western culture when it comes to business. Because as someone who's of Asian descent myself, I recognized that from the very beginning that trust was and is a very important thing in Eastern culture when it comes to business. It's not just about, as you mentioned, sending legal documents and then getting straight to the point, this is how we do business, but it's about sitting down, having a coffee or tea and knowing the other person. Why is it so different? And why in Western culture, for example, with business, it's not like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would be foolish to say, you know, it, it just all happens without any effort. And there are various ways that, that we make this trust model work. And I can share a few of them if you like. Mm, absolutely. Because I was just interested to hear, how can you pr- promote a trust network amongst clients and suppliers? Yeah. Okay. With the buyer side, like Matchboard has many, many household name and Australian household name clients that everyone recognizes. And, and we're, you know, we're a startup essentially. Why do these big brands trust us? So the, the tactics we've used Number one, we're in the media a lot. <laughs> and um, yeah, we've been on the Sydney Morning Herald front page a couple of times, on Qantas, in flight radio, CEO magazine, all these things really punching above our weight. And the, that's a deliberate strategy to create trust with these larger brands because being featured, being able to say you've been featured in these media outlets brings credibility. And with credibility mm. comes trust. And also, just from an online perspective, having backlinks from trusted news sites to the Matchboard site builds our domain authority with Google, which in turn helps with SEO. So everything is sort of leading to something else. A lot of our buyers find us online um, because we're ranked so highly on Google. So that PR strategy is, is one way we create trust. The second way is customer reviews and testimonials. Everyone knows that they're very influential in building trust. So we've really focused on getting great reviews. Every single one of our customer reviews on Google is a five-star. And that really pops out in the search results and gives us a sort of what I would call a trust advantage. Third strategy we use to build trust with the buy side is awards. So we've won numerous business awards, Westpac, uh, 200 Businesses of Tomorrow, Optus, my business, Australia's Business of the Year, and many others. And I call them our badges of trust. (laughs) (laughs) I would always encourage people to go for awards. When Matchboard applied for the Westpac Award, I thought we had no chance. But when we actually got selected, I jumped on that bandwagon of applying for all these awards and started winning half of them. So that's been amazing. And, and one more I'll share is just content. I would say never try to cut corners with producing very high-quality content because that builds trust. Mm. We had, I'll give you an example. I wrote or published a blog on Matchboard, How Silos Damage Customer Experience, and it was picked up by McKinsey's in their quarterly review. McKinsey's has a massive global, global database, and we got 2,000 click-throughs from the McKinsey website in two days. Wow on this blog. And so people think, okay, if McKinsey's is promoting it, it must be trustworthy. So that's um, how we made that work. And then on the supplier uh, supplier side, 
building that trust, I'll just give a a few quick points. One is you've got to give long-term benefit for people to give you their trust. So the benefit with suppliers working with Matchboard is that they want new business leads for many years to come. So they have a vested interest in being honest and trustworthy with us if they want more leads to flow through. Mm -hmm. Um, So always give people that benefit, I guess, to make it almost like a reinforcement. This is why you you need to uh, do the right thing. Um, Obviously, you need to put mechanisms in place to monitor compliance. So with Matchboard, we run customer SAT surveys and we survey both sides of the market, in fact, and make sure everyone's doing the right thing and reporting their wins to us. Thirdly, I think eyeballing customers creates trust, whether that's through Zoom or some online platform rather than face-to-face in a COVID (laughs) world, or, you know, whether you can actually go out and have a coffee. Nothing beats looking someone in the eye. So we like those face-to-face relationships with all our suppliers to create trust. I think nothing is is more hard to trust than something that's faceless. Mm. So so those are my tips for creating trust. Hopefully that that gives people some food for thought. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's brilliant. What's coming to my head though is that all of this seems like a tremendous amount of effort from having to deal with the client side, building trust with them with media exposure, PR, going to awards and competitions and from the supplier side meeting them face to face. How did you do this at the beginning when you're just starting out. Do you always have a huge team or are you just one person wearing many, many hats that somehow can just do more work than the average person? (laughs) Yeah, look, I am the only full-time employee, but what I've done is create a network of contractors and outsource partners Mm. who are essentially the team. (laughs) And um, they've been with me for eight years. I've got someone in Israel doing software development, someone in Sydney doing graphic design and, you know, all these resources in different places that essentially all work part-time or on a project basis to to make it all happen. Mm. It is a lot of work. I won't deny it, but what startup isn't, right? Definitely. Is there a particular reason you chose to use contractors as opposed to just importing employees? Yeah, well, it was a purely financial consideration. Uh, obviously, I'd, I'd read the the book The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like every good founder. And looking at how can I launch this business in the most lean possible way with the MVP. <laughs> and so I really had to have an agile model which didn't commit matchboard to fixed overheads without knowing where or how things would evolve. So essentially that was just by necessity. I started the business that way and it was working so well that I thought, why change it? It's a low risk model. I've still got the loyalty. All those contractors and partners have been with me eight years. I think the key is to really think carefully when you choose those partners, make sure they're a perfect match. Because it doesn't have to be, you know, in and out style of contractor workforce, not at all. I think we need to revisit the way we we think of contractors and outsource partners. That's my, my opinion anyway. Absolutely. And lastly, Sharon, what are some challenges that you've faced since starting Matchboard? My biggest challenge so far has been trying to take the business international. We started with the UK market. Uh, with a country manager model. So I actually hired someone over there. 
that actually didn't work out too well. We switched to a licensing model. So that, that's got a lot of promise, but it's been a lot of hard work. It sounds very glamorous to go global. But behind the scenes, it's after-hours calls, it's travel, it's it's huge stress. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to sort of under understate that. I guess I was drawn in by uh, the whole glamour and appeal of saying you're a global company, but you've got to, I guess, think very carefully before you take the leap. Yeah, definitely. I can only imagine the amount of calls, even within just Australia itself, it already seems like a lot of work. But then to double this, just going to another country, it's it's insane. It really is. (laughs) Anyway, Sharon, it's been absolutely brilliant having you here on the Genesis of Startups. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope that the audience has found it incredibly valuable. Sharon is a living, breathing, trust in business person. If you'd like to learn more about her or about the genesis of startups, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Until next time.